As we come to Psalm 28 this evening, I've summarised it with the title, Pleading for God's Justice, Praising God's Mercy. Pleading for God's Justice, Praising God's Mercy. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, the great London Baptist preacher of the mid-1800s, he once said that prayer and praise are the two lips of the soul. Your lips are a set, they work together, you need both to speak clearly And Spurgeon used that picture of of lips to emphasise that when believers speak to God, we need to have prayer and praise balanced together. The tendency for many of us might be that we focus on one or the other of these things as we approach God in prayer. Either our prayers are all about our, our personal needs, the things that we want or the things that concern us. Or perhaps some Christians, they feel like, uh, we can only praise God, we can, we can only give him adoration and praise his name and almost we, we dare not bring our needs to him at all. Well Psalm 28 is a great example to us of how to balance prayer and praise. Because here the psalmist lets God know all about his needs in no uncertain terms. But he also gives God the praise that he deserves And so four things to notice from this psalm this evening. First of all, a passionate plea for the mercy of God. A passionate plea for the mercy of God. If we look at verse 1. To you, O Lord, I call. My rock, be not deaf to me, lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. In the Bible, including the Psalms, the rock is a picture, it's a place of security and shelter. And that's why we read earlier from 1 Samuel 23, David names this particular place the the rock of escape. Because in God's mercy and grace it protected him from the onrush of his enemies. We read this morning as well in Exodus 17 of God providing water for the Israelites from a rock. Uh, And so quite often, harking back to that episode in the Old Testament, we have uh, this language of the rock being the place where God provides for his people. It's a picture of life. It's a a picture of protection and provision. The pit, on the other hand, is a place of despair in the scriptures. In the pit, no one's listening. In the pit, you've been cast aside. You cry out and no one answers. It's a place of despair. Psalm 28 begins with David crying out for God to be his rock and not to cast him off into the pit. David seems to feel here as though God has been silent for a time. And it's unbearable for him. What he's saying in verse 1 is that if this goes on, he may as well be dead. Because, uh, the, because having the word of God was, was what made life worth living for David. I wonder if you ever endured the silent treatment from someone. Something that children sometimes do. Though it can happen between adults as well. The silent treatment is when someone has just decided, I'm just not going to speak to you. They're annoyed at you for some reason. And so they're just not going to bother speaking for a set period of time. Uh, And it becomes uncomfortable and it doesn't feel natural because relationships are all about interaction. uh, Talking and listening. Enjoying each other's presence. And for whatever reason David was beginning to feel as though, and I emphasize feel as though, God was silent. 
For whatever reason, he wasn't able to enjoy the, the gracious presence of God or have a sense of the nearness or the help of God at this moment in his life. And so David cries out, he is pleading with God here to be his rock, to hear him, to encourage him, to once again provide for him. And notice verse 2, look how David appeals to God here. He says, hear the voice of my pleas for mercy. Uh, David cries out for God's grace, mercy and grace, closely uh, related concepts, particularly in the Old Testament. David doesn't cry out and demand that God listen to him because he's been a good person, because he's been a great king, because he's better than whoever it is that might be out to get him at this moment in his life. He cries out on the basis of God's grace and mercy that God graciously acts as a rock of refuge for those who call upon him, imperfect people who call upon him. And David can think of nothing worse here than, than not hearing the word of God, not enjoying the fellowship of God. It would be worse than death for David. It would be like going into the pit. Uh, some people uh, can think of people over the years who use this phrase, the pits. They would talk about something being the pits as, a, as if it was the, the, talking about something that's like the worst thing that could happen. Maybe a holiday got cancelled. Maybe they... They didn't get a promotion. Maybe their, their team didn't win. And they say it's the pits. It's rubbish. I wonder friends. Is the thought of missing out. On God's loving and gracious presence. The thought of our fellowship with him. Being disrupted. Our knowledge of him stalling. Is that the worst thing that could possibly happen to us? Would that be the pit for us? When you've been praying and praying and praying about something and there doesn't seem to be any response yet, does that feel like being in a pit? When the world is against you or it feels like the world, the world is against you as often was the case for David and often was the case for the Lord Jesus Christ. When temptations or criticisms or just the constant busyness of life they just leave you feeling in no way close to God, does that feel like being in a pit? Well, if so, friends, that is all the more reason to cry out or to keep on crying out to the one who can pull you out of the pit. Spurgeon says in his commentary in this psalm, when God seems to close his ear, we must not close our mouths. When God seems to close his ear, we must not close our mouths, but rather cry with more earnestness. Remember those words of Christ on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Even as he was lifted onto a cross, Jesus was facing the turmoil and torment of being in a spiritual pit, forsaken by God in a way that we will never be, punished by God in our place for our sin. And yet a few minutes after he said those words, Jesus said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. God was still his rock even as Christ faced the pit of hell on the cross. When God is silent, cry all the more loudly, my rock, my refuge, my father. And he will answer you. As the world attacks, as the pressures mount up, as family life perhaps gets all the more demanding, 
He will answer you as you prepare for another round of treatment for an illness. Or as you go for an appointment for some unknown illness. He'll answer you as you pray for guidance. He'll answer you as you battle sin. He'll answer you even in those moments that feel as though you're in a pit. When God seems silent, believe he is still my rock. He is still there for me to call upon and take refuge in. Passionate plea for the mercy of God. Secondly in this psalm, a concern for the justice of God. A concern for the justice of God. David says in verse 2 that if God is silent to him, he says, he will be like those who go down to the pit. Again, the pit often being life away from God's gracious presence, cast out of fellowship with God. But sometimes when God's people are treated unfairly, or, or, or they're punished for doing the right thing, they, they end up in a spiritual pit at least for a while. This happened literally to Joseph, you remember. He had his coat of many colours, his ten older brothers became jealous. What did they do? They threw him into a pit. Uh, and they came very close to killing him. And uh, they, they left him there uh, and eventually sold him off into slavery. And they ended up in pretty much another pit in Egypt at one stage. And one of the reasons the, the story of Joseph is so powerful is because as we read it, we know that he doesn't deserve this. He doesn't deserve to be in a pit. It's, it's not fair. It's not right. And again, the same thing and worse happened to the Lord Jesus Christ. Before he was killed, Jesus was mocked, scourged, made to wear a crown of thorns. And as we read it, it smacks of injustice. It's not fair. David, the author of this psalm, also experienced injustice. And when he asks for God to save him from the pit here, he's asking God to judge rightly on his behalf, to look at his situation and render a just verdict, a fair verdict. Look at verse 3. Do not drag me off with the wicked, with the workers of evil, who speak peace with their neighbours while evil is in their hearts. People gossiping about him, people plotting against him behind his back, people who are two-faced. Look at verse 4. Give to them according to their work and according to the evil of their deeds. Give to them according to the work of their hands. Render them what their due reward. David's saying, God, I trust you to do what is right. No matter who the human judge may be, I know that you, God, are the ultimate judge. You're the ultimate authority. You are the the supreme court of supreme courts. God, these people are falsely accusing me. They're plotting against me. They want me in the pit. But you know the truth. Give them what they deserve. Do justice. Any right-thinking human being Christian or otherwise, is concerned for justice to be done. We hear it in the news all the time. Someone or other campaigning for justice. And many of those causes, even if they don't personally affect us, we can see they do deserve justice. There is something that needs to be put right there. The problem is justice isn't always done in our human societies. Even by those who have been put in place to do justice. The people who have power and authority and the ones we expect to do justice to give a drastic and 
Extremely concerning example, since abortion became legal in the Republic of Ireland five years ago, more than 25,000 have been carried out. Now, of course, even before it was legal, Irish women were travelling to Britain to murder their unborn children. But the change of law has undoubtedly led to a higher number of abortions. Hundreds of thousands more, of course, happen elsewhere in these islands. Little children, in some cases, torn apart in the womb, the place that is supposed to be the safest place on earth for them. That is injustice of the most vile, horrendous kind. And we don't see, sadly, any human authority in our land looking likely to do anything about it. So we cry out to God, the supreme authority, to do justice. That's sort of a a macro level example. In family life and work life, we are concerned for justice to be done. Whether it's the right person getting a promotion or the right person being punished for wrongdoing. Little children have a concept of this from an early age. Quick to tell their parents, it's not fair. It was so-and-so who did that, not me. And you know the person most concerned for justice to be done is God himself. God would not be God if he were not perfectly just. It's one of the things that makes God holy. Our world is full of corruption and injustice and and abuse, abuse of authority at times. God never does that. He will always do what is right. And it's important to note in the psalm, friends, David is not praying. I said this when I introduced the singing of the psalm earlier. David is not praying a bitter prayer here. He's praying a righteous prayer. Notice the proportion and the sense of balance. Verse 4. Give to them according to their work and according to the evil of their deeds. The law of God in the Old Testament spoke about eye for eye Tooth for tooth, balance, proportion in punishing evil. That's what David's asking for. We don't always know what that is. God always knows what that is. What what the right punishment, what the right verdict is. Look at verse 5. Because they do not regard the works of the Lord or the work of his hands. Those who end up in the pit, those who end up facing the punishment and justice of God are those who have willfully refused to worship God. Those who have refused to bow the knee to God. Who have not done the works of the Lord. Who have turned down the offer of his salvation. That's how we get out of the pit. We receive the salvation that God the judge graciously offers. Those who end up in the pit are those who have refused that offer. Either Jesus Christ is your rock of salvation... Or you're headed for the pit of destruction. Which is it for you? Often we're angry when we hear the news or see things going on in our lives and we think that's not right, that's not fair. Someone needs to sort that out. God is going to sort it all out. Every wrong will be put right. Every wicked deed that dictators and child abusers and terrorists think that they're getting away with, they're not. But what about you? And what about me? Because we've broken God's law too. 
We're guilty. We might not be guilty of some of the things I've mentioned here. But every breach of God's law must be punished. Every sin is an act is an insult to his justice. Are you headed for the pit? Or are you sheltered by the rock and the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ? And if you're a believer here this evening and you're discouraged by the injustice of our world or maybe injustice done against you personally, meditate on Psalm 28. God is a just God. In the end, friend, in the end, he will do justice. So a passionate plea for the mercy of God, a concern for the justice of God. Thirdly, personal praise for the grace of God. Personal praise for the grace of God. The whole mood of the psalm changes in verse 6. Notice the, the personal language that David increases, the increase in that personal language from verse 6 onwards. Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts and I am helped. You can only make that kind of prayer if your life has been changed by the grace of God, as David knew that his had been. Again, grace is getting what you don't deserve. Boys and girls, we use the the word grace all the time. It's always important to remember, it's getting what you don't deserve. Jesus' life for your life. Jesus punished so that you didn't need to be punished. Jesus in the pit so that you could be sheltered in the rock. And that's why we praise him. And that's why he's my rock and my strength and my shield. Who is the joy of my heart, David says. And to be a Christian is to be able to speak in those personal ways about God through Christ. Same way that we would say that, well, I would say Hannah is not just a wife. She is my wife. I have a relationship with her that no one else has. And similarly, to be a Christian is not to just speak of God or a God, but of my God, my rock, my refuge, my strength. And if you know God in that way, it will naturally lead you to prayer and praise, the two lips of the soul, as Spurgeon described them. We make our prayers to God, asking him for the things that we believe we need. And then as David does here, we offer our praise to God for providing what we need. Blessed be the Lord. He is my strength and my shield. And what's interesting is that we don't know whether David's prayer had been answered when he pens the words of this psalm, when he offers his praise to God. He says in verse 6 that God has heard his prayers, but he doesn't tell us how his prayers were answered. Were David's enemies punished? Were the false accusations against him dropped? We don't know. We don't know exactly when David wrote this psalm. But notice, friends, David praises God anyway. David could find reasons to praise God regardless of whether his prayers were answered in the way that he hoped at the time that he hoped or not. Uh, The late Tim Keller, he's written a helpful little devotional on the Psalms. He says at this juncture, when we make our request to God, we can thank him ahead of time for giving us what we would have asked for if we knew everything he knew. 
That's an interesting way of looking at it, isn't it? God always gives us what we would have asked for if we knew everything he knows. Parents or grandparents, we often smile at ourselves when our children ask for certain things, things that they think would be perfectly good to have and to have right now. But you smile because you think, if only you knew what McDonald's for lunch every day of the week for a month would do. If only you knew what the impact would be for you to sit on that screen all day, every day. You wouldn't ask for those things at all. God always answers our prayers just the way we would have prayed them if we had the knowledge that he has. And so we should still offer personal praise to God, even if we're still waiting for the prayer to be answered, because he's God. He's already given us eternal life in Jesus Christ. What more reason do we need to praise him? Or as Paul says in Romans 8, 32, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him, with Christ, graciously give us all things? Paul says, whatever else you need, he's going to give you. He's already given you salvation. He's already given you eternal security and eternal life. Do you really think he's going to withhold anything else that you really need? And so our prayers should should include personal praise for for the God who knows how to provide for all of our needs now and in the future. A passionate plea for the mercy of God, a concern for the justice of God, personal praise for for the grace of God. And then fourthly and finally this evening from this psalm, public prayer for the people of God. Public prayer for the people of God. David does not just pray for himself. Look at verse 7. The Lord is the strength of his people. David's already said that God is my strength. Now he says he's also the strength of all his people. Sometimes as the church we feel we lack strength. It's one of the things, again, just to... Uh, Time with what we considered this morning. It may be one of the things that keeps us at times from our witness. We feel we lack strength. Strength of numbers, of resources, of ideas. Strength of courage in our witness. Listen to what David says. The Lord is the strength of his people. The maker of heaven and earth is in the habit of lending you his strength. And he doesn't tire when he gives us his strength. That's what happens to us each day. We we give our strength to others. We give our strength to our employer. We give our strength to our our children. We give our strength to our neighbour. We give our strength to that elderly loved one that we're caring for. And in giving our strength to them, we tire. God never tires as he gives us his strength. Spurgeon says, every day the believer may say, I am helped for the divine assistance is available to us at every moment. Every moment. Parents working hard to raise toddlers or teenagers or everything in between, divine assistance is available. Young men and women figuring out next steps in life, divine assistance is available. 
Men and women, as you do your work in hospital wards or farmyards or classrooms or staff rooms, divine assistance is available. Older saints trying to take care and trying to remain joyful amid the the struggles of older age, divine assistance is available. David prays in verse 9, O save your people and bless your heritage. It's a wonderful word that when you trace it through scripture, that word heritage, it's a covenant promise word. It's one of those words that ties together the themes of scripture. What's a heritage? It's what you get given to you by your parents or your guardians to enjoy forever or for the rest of your life, I should say. A house, land, treasure, possession. In the Old Testament, the promised land was the heritage of God's people. It was theirs to cultivate and enjoy forever. But the people themselves were God's heritage. The people were what God chose to enjoy forever. If you're a Christian tonight, you're part of God's heritage. God wanted you. God loved you and still does. And he intends to enjoy your presence forever. Along with all the rest of his children. We're going to come back to the book of Revelation next month, God willing. The plan this time is to complete it, to go right to the end. Revelation 21.7 says, The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. The Bible ends with the promise of a heritage that not only will God be our rock, our shelter from this wicked world for however much longer we have to endure it, but he will be our heritage in the new world. He will bless us and be with us forever. David finishes the psalm by praying for the church. And David's prayer here is Christ's prayer. Christ sang this psalm. Christ embodies this psalm. Jesus wants all God's people to be encouraged. He wants all God's people to know that God can strengthen them and shield them no matter what they might face. And friends, as much as we can and should pray for our own personal needs, we should always Remember that we're part of the church and we pray for the concerns of the church as well. It's why we have our prayer points in the back of the bulletin. It's why we pray and give and support mission work near and far. It's why we pray. We'll be praying ahead of our own services in a couple of weeks' time. Because unless the Lord builds the house and blesses his heritage, we labour in vain. And that's really David's concern here in this psalm. He's a king with enemies. He's a king with his own personal difficulties, but he's also a king concerned with the welfare of his people. Verse 9, save your people, bless your heritage, be their shepherd and carry them forever. That's what Christ does for us. Maybe you feel like God has been silent recently. Maybe there's something happening in your life that is just not fair. No one understands that feeling better than Christ. No one knows better than Jesus what it's like to be misrepresented. To have your reputation dragged through the mud. To suffer for something you didn't do. But he willingly 
experienced all of that so that you could say he is my rock, my strength. He is my shepherd who carries me forever. He is my heritage and I am his. Someday Jesus will return and he will return to bring justice. He will give to sinners according to their evil deeds and unless they repent, they will be in the pit. But those who trusted him as their rock, who praised him as their strength, who hoped in in him as their heritage, we will have the reward. And so like David, plead for God's justice, praise him for his grace, Trust that God will be your shepherd and carry you forever until you arrive in your heritage. Amen.